0: with <laughs> Metro. You guys ready to go? Man, I am stoked at both of our campuses. I am super stoked that you are here today. I think you are in the right place. We are in our series called Poisonous. How many have been here for at least one part of this little series? Okay, hands up all over the place at both campuses. Uh, Now, here's the thing. I I hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this so far. Anybody in the room? Anybody? Now, listen, here's the deal. This may surprise you. This may surprise you, but I get a whole bunch of people who ask, Jeremy, Jeremy, Pastor Jay, Where does the genius for your series come from? I mean, really, where do you come up? You and the creative team, where do you come up with these incredible, audacious, amazing ideas? I'm so glad that you asked because uh, uh, I'm going to give you like a little behind-the-scenes glimpse at at some of the creative development in process. You see, uh, about a month ago or so, we were in Tanzania, Africa, and uh, we were staying at this missionary's house, and like most uh, homes of any value in the third world, almost any home actually in the third world, even like a little shack, has like a wire around it or a fence around it of some kind. Uh, and if it's a nicer home, it has like a Donald Trump wall like around it. It really does, because why? It keeps people and cows out of your yard. That's what it does. And so uh, apparently they work. And so uh, they had this wall around this missionary's home that we were staying in. And like most of these houses, they had a a security guard or like a night guard kind of a guy who watches over the property during the night. And so we're hanging out there. And uh, uh, this guard guy is walking around. And we invite him to play a little ping pong with us. And so we're starting to play ping pong with us, or with him, and and we're having a good time. And we're having a good time, not because so much that we were killing him in ping pong because he was just learning, uh, but because he could not speak a lick of English. I mean, nothing, which is odd because in Tanzania, you'd be surprised, everybody, I mean, virtually everybody speaks perfect English except this one guy, except this one guy, and he's like in the yard with us, right? And so we're trying to teach him to play ping pong and try to talk to him and all that. And uh, all of a sudden absolutely true story. This giant frog starts hopping across the garage where we're playing ping pong. And it just freaks out everybody. I mean, it literally freaks out because in Africa, you think everything is poisonous. And so you literally freak out and we're asking this guy, is this frog poisonous? And so during the freak out time, my son, Zachary grabs his cell phone and he's trying to record this whole situation. And and so I just want to Show you this a little bit. True story. You see that? Ugh. He just disappeared. <laughs> into the abyss. Is that poisonous? <laughs> poisonous? Poisonous? Poisonous. 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 Yeah. And the reason you're going, that wasn't that funny? No, it's hilarious because he could not say a lick of English but he could say poisonous perfectly. And I was just so shocked by like, how can this guy get out the word poisonous, but he can't get out no in English. I mean, it's crazy, right? And so uh, we get back to the States and we're thinking about our next series. And we came up with this idea of calling it poisonous from that. So it just goes to show you just how deeply spiritual we truly are around here. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Anyways, I'm so glad that you're here. And, uh, If it's okay with you, here's where I'd like to go with this whole deal. Um, If you're brand new here, uh, you get this. If you're new around here, this might seem a little bit awkward to you. But what I'd like to do to start off is uh, I want us to open our hearts to the thing uh, that that, that God wants to speak into your life today. And and I get it that there are some in this room where you come in here and you're going, I just came to church, man, just to hear a couple songs and maybe hear a little thing. Uh, I want it to be so much more than that. I do not want you to hear from me. I want you to hear the voice of God speaking directly into your life today, Uh, despite me. I want God to go around me and into your soul today. And and so if it's okay with you, uh, just from front to back, I'd I'd just like for us just to bow our hearts. Uh, If you're new to the faith or if you're just checking this out or maybe you've been around here forever, I'd like for every single one of us just to humbly bow before God and ask God to speak directly to you today. And I'll lead you, but you ask God to speak to you at both of our campuses. Here we go. So Father in heaven, we just pause for a moment. We bow before you, God. We humble our hearts before you. Some of us, we've done this a thousand times before, and others of us, this is a very awkward thing because it's brand new to us. But God, I believe that you want to speak into our lives today. God, I believe that you want this to be much more than just church as usual. God, you want to visit with us. And so, Spirit of God, we say, speak, oh God. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. And God's people together would say, amen, amen. So if uh, you're newer around here, I want to bring you up to speed a little bit because it's important for you to know that the whole idea of this poisonous series is about the poison that runs deep within each of us that is in you and that is inside of me. And we're talking about the kind of stuff that will kill our soul. I mean, you may not think it's a big danger to your life, but it will suck the life of God right out of you. It'll, it'll suck your spirit dry. It's like a cancer inside of you. And I'm talking about things like like we talked about last week, this idea of comparison living our lives, comparing ourselves to other people. Or I'm talking about this idea of lust or greed or, or these things like this pride that runs inside of every one of us. It's inside of you and it's inside of me. And if we don't somehow get a handle on certain things in our life, it will ruin us. It will destroy us. And remember, this isn't about the other guy because we know the other guy needs it. <laughs> this is about you. And this is about me. And so you need to be open to how this affects you personally, in your life personally. And and so today, here's what I'd like to do. I want to talk about the issue or the poison of fear, the poison of worry, the poison of anxiety. And and I'm going to just simply call this message Faith versus Fear. And and, and did you know that faith and fear, they kind of work in the opposite direction? Direction. Fear and faith, they work in the opposite direction. Faith opens up the door for God's work in your life, and fear, listen, it opens up the door for the enemy to be at work in your life. And they are at war with one another. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says that fear will kill you, fear will defeat you, fear will keep you from God's best in your life. Fear brings anxiety, fear brings worry. And if you act on fear instead of faith, it will keep you depressed, it will make you miserable and it will make you lonely in this world. It really will. It's just true. So many people today are missing out on God's joy, missing out on God's peace, missing out on God's very best because you give way to fear in your life. You give way to worry in your life. You give way to anxiety in your life. And it's not just you, it's me. I think this is something that almost everybody in this room uh, deals with. So let me tell you something, friends. Uh, Fear can kill you. I mean, it really can kill you. There's an old expression, maybe you've heard it, worried to death. Anybody ever hear that, We're worried to death or maybe scared to death? Anybody ever hear that, scared to death? Now, now friends, listen, there, there's a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard this story, and it was really interesting. It was about this guy named Nick St- uh, Stitzman, and he was a strong, young, bull of a kind of a guy. He he worked on the trail uh, train yard uh, crew, and, and it just seemed like Nick had everything going for him. He had a healthy body. He was strong. He was ambitious. He had a wonderful wife, uh, two kids, and lots of friends. Uh, however, though, Nick had something that was that dragged him down in life. He was a notorious worrier in life. He worried about everything and usually fear got the worst of him. It really did. Fear got the worst of him. Uh, for example, uh, this, is, this is what I heard, is that uh, it was a late summer day night, and uh, the train crew was informed by the boss that they could have an hour off early from work so they could go out and celebrate the foreman's birthday. And so the guys kind of all rallied together, and they all went out. But Nick, being the hard worker that he was, he was still out in the yard checking the train, uh, checking you know the cars and all whatever he had to do. And, and somehow, we're not really sure how, but uh, the story goes that somehow, accidentally, Nick got locked inside of a refrigerant. Car, a refrigerator car, right? And uh, he was locked inside and he started to panic. You know, he started to worry. And this was kind of in his nature. And so it just kind of exasperated this uh, situation. So he began to bang and he shouted. And apparently he just beat up against the, uh, uh, up against the walls until his hands ran bloody. And, and he came to this point where apparently he realized that he was going to die. He was in the freezer car. Right, and so he thought he was going to die, and so he literally takes out his knife and he etches into the uh, into the floor of the car that because he wanted his wife to know exactly what was going on, uh, and, and he etched this into the floor. He, he says, uh, "If I can't get out, I'll freeze to death," wanting to let his wife know that it wasn't what she thought it was. And so the next morning, the story goes that the door was slid open by some of the crew members and they found in the bottom of the boxcar lying on the wood floor, Nick was dead. And the story goes that they, that they had this autopsy and it revealed that, the, that he had physical signs of his body was literally frozen to death. And, and yet the amazing thing was the refrigeration in the car wasn't working. It wasn't working. That the car actually was 50 degrees. But in his mind... Fear had gotten the best of him. Worry had gotten the best of him. And I don't know if that's a true story. I don't even know if it's possible uh, to worry yourself to death. I don't know if it's possible to be scared to death. But let me tell you something, friends, something that is absolutely true. And it's absolutely true of a lot of people in this very room. That you have died a death in your soul because of fear. There's a whole bunch of us in this very room where, where you had dreams and it got away from you because simply you were afraid to move forward. You were worried about failure. You had anxiety over something that you could not really even control and it kept you from God's very best in your life. There are a whole bunch of people. You might be alive and well, but you have died inside long ago because of this thing called fear. You've let it take in the best of you. And so friends, somehow we've got to get our minds and our hearts around this issue because this is a real issue for a whole bunch of us. You have been kept down. You have been kept in your place. You have let fear win. It's kept you back from everything that God has wanted you to become. So let me tell you again, fear and faith are in conflict with one another. You hear me? Fear and faith are in conflict with one another. One moves you toward the heart of God. The other keeps you from the heart of God. One moves you uh, to release the power of God into your life, and the other keeps you from the power of God in your life. They are in conflict with one another. Fear keeps you down. It keeps you in your place. It takes you from God's best. Anyone in the house, uh, let's just have a show of honesty. Anybody in the house ever struggle with worry? Anybody? Anybody struggle with anxiety? Anybody? Fear. Fear. Well, apparently you're not alone. I I did some research this week, and and this is going to blow your mind. Uh, They they estimate, doctors estimate that roughly 50 million Americans take some sort of anti-anxiety medicine each and every day in the United States. That's one out of every six people roughly in the U.S. Friends, that's crazy. So apparently I'm not the only one who is wrestling with some sort of fear in life some sort of worry in life. So I can't be the only one who goes, I'm not sure I got what it uh, it takes to make it forward, to move forward in my life. Apparently, if that's you, you're not alone either because this is a real issue for a whole, whole bunch of us. You with me? It's true, isn't it? Fear is said to be one of the most powerful emotions known to humankind, to mankind, right? More powerful than even love. I want you to think about this. Our very survival depends on the fear nature within us. You think about it, right? This this nature was put in us by God to have this reaction to fear. It's called the fight or flight syndrome, right? So when you're afraid of something, something kicks in. You think about the caveman, right? Think about the primitive, ancient caveman, right? I mean, without this fight or flight syndrome, They'd have been eaten up by the Cyber Two Tiger, right? Because why? When they when they get a moment where fear kicks in, something happens internally in your body, right? There's this there's this fight that rises up within you. It's adrenaline, and your your body starts to breathe faster, and you start to breathe deeper, and and you're pushing blood to your muscles. To, so why? Either you can defeat the Cyber Two Tiger, or you can run. One or the other. But the idea is that you need to survive. It is a gift from God. But the problem is this very gift from God can ruin you. I mean, it's the same thing when we were kids. Like you had that neighborhood bully used to beat you up and you'd get that snot running down your nose and you'd get that fight inside of you even though he's gonna whoop you, right? Because there is something in you that says, I gotta survive and this gift is from God. But it can ruin you as well. If we somehow don't tame it within us, it will destroy us from the inside. It'll keep us from, beginning, uh, from becoming all that God wants us to become. So I did a little bit of research on this stuff, and it's really pretty amazing. Uh, Humanity, pause, that's me and you, humanity struggles with anxiety. We struggle with worry at at global levels. It's really true. Uh, As a matter of fact, um, I, I just did a little bit of research, and there's all of these things that we struggle with, all these fears that are so universal that the numbers are really high for all of us. For example, some of the very top ones, one of the top ones is the fear of failure in life. Anybody? The fear of failure—they actually have a word for it. I can hardly even pronounce it. And it's the antikyphobia, antikyphobia. I don't know, right? And it's a real deal for people. Uh, People like don't try because of the fear of failure. And so it's like you know you want to lose weight, for example, and you tried like when you were like 14 and it didn't work out, and you're 54 now. And you're going, I, I just, I can't. I've tried already. I, I just can't do it. I'm going to fail. And so you don't even try because of failure. You didn't get the last promotion at work, and so you don't try for the next promotion because why? Fear of failure. You just somehow think you're not going to be good enough, and it's rather, you'd rather just shrink back than to try to move forward. That's a real fear. Um, check this one out. Fear of death, anybody? I mean, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. Um, but, the, but the problem is, is that because of the fear of death, is often we forget how to live. We don't enjoy life and all the adventure that God has, has for us. Because we're f- afraid of death and we live like we're dead instead of living like we're alive. A uh, fear of commitment. This blew me away. Uh, roughly in almost all countries, all Western countries that, that did these surveys, uh, roughly 17 to 20% of the adult population is afraid of commitment relationally, romantic commitment. And, and so they, they pull back from that. They've been hurt by a relationship and so they pull back from future relationships. I think it was a guy named Shakespeare who once said it is better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at at all. Is that true? Hmm, I don't know. Fear of spiders. Ooh, fear of spiders. 32% of women, uh, this particular study showed that 32% of women and about 20% of men have an extraordinary fear of spiders. And I don't get this. Now listen, nobody wants to wake up one day with a spider on your face. That'd be terrible, right? That'd be terrible. But for crying out loud, You're bigger than any spider on planet Earth. Step on the thing, right? That's all you have to do. Sheesh. But this idea of fear is everywhere, right? I mean, you got, um, and it's prevalent in humanity, like the fear of flying. Anybody afraid of flying? Get over it you got to do it, okay? It's just all there is to it. Uh, that's a big one, though. Fear of heights. Anybody afraid of heights? I am not afraid of heights at all. I'm afraid of falling. Profound difference, okay? I love being up high. I just don't like the idea of falling. It's terrible. Uh, actually, the number one fear in the entire world, almost on every single survey ever done, is what? You know? Uh-huh. Public speaking. What would you say? My mom? Wow. Oh, clowns. Oh, my goodness. Um I was like, what's wrong with my mom? I'm like, what? Um, so, uh, but listen, the number one fear in every single study out there is the fear of public speaking. It's just true. People freak out. And like, like, it's true because, like, when I was younger, trying to get into this whole preaching type of thing, I would be backstage and I would be like throwing up. And I'd be so nervous. I still get nervous to come out here. And I'm like, going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You know? Uh, and it's just true. People have. Fear. Here, here's my point. Here's my point. We all battle something. You battle something, and I battle something. Every single one of us. And, and so many people today are living less of a life than God wants them to live because fear has crept in and has taken root in your life and it's kept you back. Fear is the greatest weapon that the enemy uses to hold you back. Fear is not from God. The scripture tells us that fear brings death, that fear brings torment. It's designed to paralyze you. It's a trick of the enemy and it keeps you from God and from God's purposes in your life. Do you hear me? Anxiety, worry, it robs us from the peace that God wants from us and for us. I want to talk to people, or excuse me, I talk to people all the time about this idea that uh, God wants something more for them. And I ask them, I say, you know, in my office, people come and they're struggling with something. And I say, do you like the way you're living? Do you like what's going on in your life? And people all the time say, no, no, I, I want to change it. I hate this. And then I ask them, why don't you change it? And there's all kinds of excuses why we don't change things. Am I right? You have all kinds of excuses, I have all kinds of excuses. But I ask them, why don't you change it then? And after their long line of excuses, I can tell you what it almost always boils down to. Very, very simple. They're comfortable the way that they are. It's just that simple. They're afraid of change. Because if I change something, it could actually be worse. (laughs) Right? If I step out from this situation, the next situation could be worse. So I'll just live in misery. I'll live in hopelessness. And friends, that just doesn't make sense to me. There is, listen friends, there is this tension between fear and faith. There's this tension there. I heard a preacher once say it like this. Fear and faith have something in common. They both ask us to believe in something we cannot see. Come on. They both ask us to believe in something. They both require something of us. So friends, I just say you might as well, you might as well give that effort that you put into fear you might as well give that effort into trusting God. Because listen, the opposite of of fear, you you look at all these movies and Hollywood, the opposite of of fear, uh, people think is courage. I would just humbly say the opposite of fear, or at least maybe the antidote to fear, is not courage. It's trusting in the goodness of God. It's trusting that God has something more for you. It's trusting the goodness of God that he has something better for for you than you even have for yourself. It's trusting that his ways are better than your ways. And it will take you to, become, uh, to where God wants you to become. In, in order to walk in his power, you have to close the door to the enemy. When, when we open our lives to fear, we literally open the door to the enemy of our life. And we give him opportunity. Conquering the enemy starts by making choices to close the door on fear. Uh, it, it closes the door on fear and it says, God, I will trust you and I will trust in your ways. I will listen to your voice. And, and so here's what I want to do, if it's okay with you, over the next few moments, is uh, I just want to spend some time going through an old-fashioned Bible story, right? Is that cool? Kind of an old-school Bible story time? Is that cool? And I'm just going to read part of it to you. I'm going to tell you part of it, and we'll draw some conclusions as we work our way through it because, listen, friends, this is so important. Uh, because if, if I wake up in the morning, I want to tell you a story that is going to give you a big picture of God. Because if I wake up in the morning with a small picture of God, I'm going to let fear control my life. If I wake up with a small picture of God, I'm going to tell you what happens to me. I will not pray like God can actually do anything about anything. I'll pray small prayers, and I'll believe in a small way. And there won't be victory. There will be death in my life. Uh, When when temptation comes my way, I will bow to it if I believe in a small God. When, When I think about my purpose in life and why God has put me here, I'll get easily distracted if I believe there is a small God out there. And so I think if it's okay with you, I just want to paint a picture of a big God tonight. Are y'all good with that? Y'all good? Okay, here it goes. Uh, so I'm going to uh, read and kind of tell you uh, part of the story of a young man named Gideon in the Bible. It's found in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6. And, and some of you might know uh, the backstory, but, but the backstory of this is that uh, long before King David comes around, there are these series of judges that God used to rule over his people and, and to bring law and order to the land, hence the name judges, right? Um, and, and so the, the problem was this, is that the people of God were living in the promised land of God, uh, but, the, but the Midianites and the Canaanites and all these other ites had coming in and they were like crushing God's people. They were doing war against God's people, one after another, after another. And the Midianites had, had attacked the promised land and the text says that they were like swarms of locusts taking over all of the crops. So you get this visual, like here's the people of God, they're trying to have their like little home and raise their family and do life and the enemy just kept coming at them just coming at them and just coming at them and it literally beat the life out of them but what's interesting is that they were not getting beat as the people of God as a nation of God they were not getting beat because they were weak here's what's interesting the story says the scripture says that they were getting beat beat because they had rebelled against God they had turned away from God. And they said, God, we no longer want you. And God said, okay, if you no longer want me, then you don't get my protection either. Come on, right? If you run away from your father, you no longer have the protection of your father. And so the people of God, the Israelites, had moved away from God, and and God is trying to reach back out to them. And so the scripture says this. This is very interesting. It says that they ignored God's voice, God sent them preachers and God sent them prophets and God sent them priests and they didn't listen sounds familiar (laughs) we would never do that right we would never go hey things are really great and then all of a sudden things are really bad like honey it is time to go back to church we do the same thing don't we when we think we got it handled we leave God we walk away from him one step at a time You do it and I do it. And sometimes it takes hurt in our life to bring us back around. And so here's what what happens. God says, I've sent the prophets to you, I've sent the preachers to you, and you're not listening. And so this might get a little bit weird, especially if you're like kind of unchurched, if you're kind of new to this whole God thing, this might sound a little bit weird to you. But God eventually sends an angel directly, no longer to the people as a general whole, but to one individual young man a man named Gideon, and literally this angel comes and visits with Gideon, and this is what, when we get introduced to the story, we're going to start at chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, I said to you, God speaking through this angel, I am the Lord your God, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. He says the very first sign of trouble that you, you, you get in is when you no longer listen to your father, amen, parents? God says, you haven't listened to me. So trouble's coming on your camp. It's coming. Verse 11, here's what it says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. No, no, no apparently Oprah was everywhere even back then. Um, <laughs> that belonged to Joash. Uh, so Joab, Joash is this landowner in the town of Oprah. And uh, Joash the Aborazite, where his son, who was his son? Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Did you hear that? He's threshing wheat where? In the wine press. Not on the threshing floor, but in the wine press, right? To keep it from the Midianites. Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Did you catch that? Right? And this doesn't make any sense if you if you think about it, because a wine press is this little pit sunken in the ground back in this day. It was designed to be like a stoned in pit that would be below grade so that the sun would keep off of it, so that the dust and the, all the stuff, it'd be like kind of like almost like a well that they would get in and they would stamp down all of the grapes. You know, you'd pour the grapes in there and they'd smush them all down and then the juice would collect and they'd pull out the juice, right? But he is in there. Threshing wheat. Now, we're not a bunch of farmers in the room, but I know enough about farming to know that you don't thresh wheat under the ground. Where do you thresh wheat at? In the open air, right? Because you throw it up. You've seen the old-fashioned movies, Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Throw it up in the air. The wind blows the junk away, blows the shaft away, right? Anybody with me on this so far? And the heavy wheat falls to the ground. You scoop it up, and you make yourself some donuts, right? (laughs) That's how it works, okay? You get it? Okay, so, so he is, he's in the press underground, and it says why? To keep it from who? The Midianites, those dang Midianites, right? Because why? They're coming in like swarms of locusts, and he thinks if they see me out in the open, they're gonna do what? They're gonna come and kill me and take my food that is for my family. And so what is he doing? He's afraid. He is literally underground. And, and I think this is so important. The, the writer of scripture here, is trying to get us in our mind to say, listen, Gideon was not King David. Gideon was not Samson. He was not brave. He was not strong. He was not defiant. He was cowering. He's like, I just got to make me some bread. That's all I got to do. I just got to hide long enough to get a little bit of this thresh and and so that I can bring it to my family. He was not a warrior. He's not a fighter, right? Um, And let me tell you something, friends. When we live with a small God, That is how we live in this world. When we think God is small, we think the problems of this world are big. When we think God is small, we think our struggles are not able to be overcome. When we think God is small, the very thing that you know God is stirring in you, you shrink back from. We need to have a different view of God. And so Gideon, we learn, thought that the Midianites of this world were too big for the God that he served. Let's keep reading verse 12. This is interesting. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon's thinking, Mighty what? Mighty what? What are you talking about? Because listen to this, verse 13. This is incredible. Can you imagine saying this to God's angel? Pardon me. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Listen, he says, Pardon me, my Lord. Like, uh, I don't think you got the right guy here. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, then he has all these things, right? He goes, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Why are all of his uh, wonders that our ancestors told us about, um, where, excuse me, are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about uh, when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has what? What's this word? Abandoned us and has given us into the hands of Midian. He's saying, where's God now? He's saying, we've heard all these things about God. We've come to church and we've sung the little songs and they got them up on the screens for us, but we don't really see the wonders of God now. Where is God? Where is he? Do you realize I'm threshing below ground? I'm trying to separate the wheat from the chaff and I don't have any wind because I'm in the wine press and nobody can even see me there. Wind can't get in there. You know how hard it is to feed my family right now? Where is God? Listen to me, friends. Uh, you, you see this in Gideon, and I've seen this in my own life, and I think you probably have seen it in yours. Listen, fear, when it sets in, fear ignites doubt in your life. It sets doubt ablaze inside of your heart. When you start to shrink back, that moment, that first time you feel defeated, that first time you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this, it is a downward spiral. Am I right? Am I right, friends? It just shrinks back inside of you. Fear ignites doubt. But listen, listen to me. Don't come into agreement with the fear that is in your heart. Did you hear this? Don't come into agreement with the fear that is in your heart. Do not align your life to the feelings that you have a fear inside of you. You hear me? This is critical. If we're ever going to defeat fear, we cannot allow our life to become aligned with the fear that is driving us. Don't do it. It will cripple you. How many, uh, how many in the room would say you are second-guessers? Second-guessers in this room? Second-guessers? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like you thought you had a leading on something. You thought you knew exactly what you were supposed to do. And then you go, ooh, I'm not so sure. Like anybody ever second-guessed the husband you married? No, don't, do not answer that. Do not. What are you, crazy? No, 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 no. But you get the idea, right? That you thought there was this movement inside of you. You thought for sure. Anybody? You ever felt for sure you're supposed to do something, start something, begin something, change something, uh, go after something? Uh, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not so sure anymore. And then you're just second-guessing it. You're, you're crippled. And the very thing that you thought you were uh, supposed to move into, you don't. Now, I'm not saying not to think things through, because I, I, think, I think things through. I think I do. My wife doesn't always think that, but I think I do, right? <laughs> uh, but friends, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us just go round and round, and we never make any forward progress because we spend all of our time second-guessing. Second-guessing fear Ignites doubt. When you let anxiety and worry control you, it makes you doubt God. It makes you doubt His goodness. It makes you doubt His provision. It makes you doubt His leadership in your life. And friends, that's deadly to your soul. It's just deadly to your soul. Look at what happens next. Uh, Gideon is—he's doubting God. Uh, he's doubting God's goodness and care over him and his people. Uh, but God says to him, listen to this, this is amazing. Uh, verse 14, Gideon, listen, Gideon, I know you haven't seen the wonders of God, but listen, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Uh, am I not sending you? Now think about this. God says to Gideon, You got this. You're going to be okay. You got strength in you. Trust me, God has put more in you than you even realize that you have. Go in the strength that you have. You are going to be great. It's going to be good. Why? Because I am with you. I am the one that's sending you. I came down and picked you for this call, for this task. You, me, I'm with you. Got it? And Gideon's going, are we not communicating here? But God is saying, oh, yeah. I have put something inside of you. I put something there. Now listen, friends. Fear causes you not only to doubt God, but listen, you may want to write this down, but it also causes you to doubt who you are, what your purpose is. Uh, Here's what fear does. Fear not only ignites uh, doubt, but listen, fear makes life small for you. It makes you feel small. It makes your purpose feel small. It makes your daily routine feel small. It makes you worship a small God. Look at Gideon's response to this. So the spirit of, uh, of, this angel, the angel, the spirit of God through this angel speaks and goes, hey, you're going to do this. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be huge. I got your back. It's going to be great. Go. And then Gideon says this. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my family inside of my tribe. So he says, we are the weakest state in the union, right? We're the weakest state in the union and we are the weakest family in the state. And I am the weakest of the weakest in my family. You got the wrong guy. (laughs) So how would you assess Gideon's self-image here—is he rocking it? No. no, I mean he is like going, uh, 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 "I can't, I can't." He he found a way of viewing himself that would rationalize his rationalize his passivity, right? Uh, He he found a way of viewing himself that would justify him saying no even to God's great call on his life, to God's great adventure uh, for which he was born, right? He found a way of viewing himself that rationalized his self-centered, lazy existence. Woo! And so have you, and so have I. God, I'm not the one. I can't stand up on any stage and teach anything. God, what am I going to do to help some teenager in our youth group? God, I can't help these kids at Metro Kids. I can't. God, you got the wrong person. And we rationalize it away that it's somebody else's job. That somehow you don't have the same spirit of God that I have. Or the same spirit of God as the person up here or back there, or doing person doing this or doing that. You act like God's spirit doesn't live in you. Come on. Of course he does. If you believe, if you trust God with your one and only life, if you've invited the lordship of Jesus into you, it says that the spirit of God comes and takes up residence within you. And he can do far more in you than you could ever imagine for yourself. Woo! You guys awake? Come on. But listen to God's answer. Uh, God says, I'm not taking that from you. (laughs) Listen, the Lord answers, I will be with you. Didn't I tell you that already? I will be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Friends, this is the hinge point on which everything turns, not just for Gideon, but for all of us as well, for you and for me as well. Uh, What is unthinkable or undoable on my own becomes unstoppable when it's God and me together. When it's God and me together, I remember when I was a kid, um, I was like the neighborhood punching boy for this big kid in my neighborhood. His name was, I'm just going to call him Dave. That's his first name. I will not give you the last name because I think he still lives in the area. And I was the punching bag for this kid. He would randomly just beat me up because I was beat up a bull. Frankly, I was just smaller and he was meaner and bigger than me. right? And so true story one day, I'm just walking along in my little neighborhood, being the good kid that I always was. I wasn't antagonizing anybody. And Big Davey comes up to me and literally picks me up and throws me into the ditch. I mean, like water and all, just, hey, you belong in the ditch. And of course, I go home crying to my mom for the like 5,000th time. And that was the day Big Davey met my big brother Bobby. (laughs) True story. Big brother Bobby went down to Big Davey and told Big Davy that he was tired of it and it wasn't going to happen anymore, and Big Bobby took care of business for little brother. And so from that day forward, I was able to walk by his house and go, come on out and play, Davy. You chicken? Come on! Because why? My brother Bob had my back, and he had had enough. This is true, friends, that God says, I am with you. You know what the number one command in all of Scripture is? The number one command in all of scripture, it's repeated over and over and over. Uh, It's not don't do this or don't do that. Don't you have any fun? It's not that at all. You want to know what the number one command is? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Because God somehow knows that this world is big and we feel the pressure of this world beating us down. And God says, you stand under the strength I give you because why? Listen, not because you are so good, not because you got it all together, but because Bobby's behind you. Because somebody better than Bobby's behind you. That God's spirit has come and taken up residence inside of you. Now go and live as I have commanded you to live. Go and tackle the very thing that you know God is calling you for years to tackle. Go ahead and change that thing because I am what? With you. I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. So God tells Gideon, go do something amazing. And his first challenge was this. This is a very odd challenge. He tells him, you're gonna go and kill all of the Midians, but we're not gonna start there. That's kind of a big deal, right? He's like, dude, I just make little, like I, I make bread and I make wine. That's, I'm not a warrior, right? He says, you're gonna go and wipe out all of the Midians, but we're not gonna start there. Here's my, your first task. God tells Gideon, If you go back and read the story, he tells Gideon, he says, go and tear down the altars, altars, like these little spiritual places, right, that are built not to God Jehovah, but to the God of the Midianites and the Canaanites and the Philistines, the God called Baal, he says, you go and tear, tear down these altars. Now, if you know anything about Baal, uh, it had nothing to do with the connection of, of, a, of a kind of a God that we worship, a God of justice, a God of love, a God of righteousness, a God of holiness. The God of Baal was the, the fertility God. They believed that, that, that uh, through these very evil, sexually immoral acts that somehow that this God would bless the people of the Midianites and give them more and more children. And get this, this is gonna blow your mind. You know the value of one child in in our lives? Like you go, wow, that child holds infinite value. Would we not agree? It doesn't matter whose child it is, but you know, like your child, like when you get that baby into your arms, you're like, I don't even know this kid yet and I love this kid, right? I mean, that's our worldview, right? You get this, right? They would sacrifice thousands of infants to the God of Baal. How crazy is this? And so God says to Gideon, the first thing you're going to do is you're not going to worry about the Midianites. You're going to make sure God is first in Israel. (laughs) You're going to make sure God is first in your own life. And you're going to go after, and you're going to go tear down this altar. But what's interesting, this is freaky. It's kind of weird. The Midianites did not build the altars to Baal. The Jewish people did. And guess who built the the altar in his own hometown? Gideon's father, Joash, had hurt the heart of God. And now Gideon is told to go after his father's temple of worship. And so it says this, that Gideon was afraid. And that makes sense, right? Because didn't he say earlier that he is the smallest in the family, the weakest in the family? So how many times do you think that Gideon had ever stood up to his dad? Probably never. But now somehow he's taken this step of faith and he's trusting God uh, in, a, in a very different way. And so it says this in, in the scriptures, uh, chapter six, verse 27, it says, so Gideon, listen, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had told him to do. But because he was afraid of his family, no kidding, and all the townspeople, no kidding, he did it at night rather than during the daytime. And I'm thinking that's a pretty smart move. That's nothing to be ashamed of because I would not do it in the broad daylight either. I would come and sneak, Right? Are you right? Are you with me? But here's the deal. He was afraid. Here's the deal. He was afraid. Here's the deal. He was afraid, but he did it anyways. You see this? He was afraid, but he obeyed God anyways. He did not allow his fear to overrun his faith Listen to me, friends. Fear works just like faith works, but in the opposite direction. Faith opens the door to God's work in your life. Check this out. Listen to this. Uh, Everybody is wondering who had the nerve to tear down Joash's altar, and they start to ask around, and eventually they find out that it was Gideon, Joash's son, that takes the altar down. And guess what the townsfolk say? They say it is time to put to death Gideon and his entire family. Listen to this but its own dad reacts. Check this out, you ready? Verse 31, but Joash, the father of Gideon, replied to the hostile crowd around him, are are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you here because of Baal? Are you pleading Baal's cause? Are you trying to save Baal? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning because, listen, here's why, if Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down because, of the, because Gideon broke down Baal's altar. You hear what go, went on there? He's like, his own father's faith was stirred because of his son's faith. You see what happened there? His father is like, has all these people and he would have like killed anybody then he realizes, oh my gosh, this is my son who did this. And then it starts to dawn on him, if Baal was any god at all, whew, if Baal was any god at all, Baal could take care of himself. He could defend his own altar. Y'all get it? And uh, and, and Gideon obeys God, even though he is afraid. But here's his next big test. This is huge. God calls Gideon to go up head-to-head with the Midianites now to free his people. And, of course, Gideon was afraid, but he's learning to trust God. And so in chapter 7, listen to this. Gideon and his men went to war against the Midianites. And Gideon recruited 32,000 men for his army. And you think, that's pretty impressive for a, a farmer right? Except that the Midianites have 135,000 men. Not good odds, about one to four, about a one to four ratio in there. Uh, Gideon was outnumbered, but God comes to Gideon and uh, the enemy has 135,000 troops and he has 32,000. He says, you got a number problem. God says to Gideon, you got a number problem. And Gideon's like, thank you, God. I so agree. We got to get more troops. We got to do something here. And God says, no, 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 no. You got a number problem, but it's all wrong. You, you have way too many troops for this battle. And Gideon's going, huh? Huh? I mean, I didn't graduate, you know, them, their college degree things, but what? And God says, you have a numbers problem. Because if you go into war with 32,000 people, you're gonna think that you won because you had 32,000 people. We need to even these odds up and let them know that God is the one who's fighting the battle for you because I am with you. And when I'm with you, I can do a lot more with a lot less. Come on. Anybody? And so here's what he says. He goes to Gideon. He says, I want you to go to your men, and I want you to tell them, everybody who's afraid, just let them go home. Because God says, he knows that every single one of us battle with some sort of fear. He says, I don't want people going into battle for my kingdom who are afraid. I want people who trust me. And so he says, send them all home. And guess how many people stayed? 10,000. 10,000. Now, he's got 132,000 to roughly 10,000. And that's a, what, a 13 to 1 odd, right? The numbers are going backwards, right? And so uh, Gideon's like, okay, God, I got the baddest. I got the toughest here. We can do something with this. Let's work this magic. And God says, no, 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 no. You still got a numbers problem, you got a numbers problem. And so here's what God says to Gideon. Listen to this. This is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but the Lord says to Gideon, uh, chapter 7, verse 4, uh, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. And I'm thinking, what's going to do? Drown them? What's he going to do? What's happening here? Uh, this one shall go with you, Uh, If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so verse 5, listen. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him. Here's what you're going to do. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog. So in other words, that's, that's like a dog, right? With the tongue, lapping it up. Separate those people from those who kneel down and drink. So those who just go, oh, oh, and just put their head in the water, he says, you're going to get rid of all those people. That doesn't make any sense, does it? So listen to this. Listen to this. So verse 6, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping it like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, water like a dog, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300 who took took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So like, hey, if you're gonna go back, let me have your sword. Like we need your ammo. Y'all get what's going on here, right? Now listen, I don't know why God chose the men exactly. Like it doesn't exactly tell us why he chose the men who lapped it like a dog. I personally don't like dogs. I would not have made that choice. I don't know, maybe God likes dogs, who knows? But, but, but there was probably good reason, right? Because he probably was thinking like a guy who's careful looking, that's the guy I want in battle. Right, y'all get me on this? And so God says, let everybody go. I want men who are aware. I want men who, who, are, who are gonna think their way through this. And so you go back and read the rest of the story. God delivers the 135,000 men into the hands of 300. And God has a great victory that day. You go back and read it. It's amazing. So, friends, um, does anybody in the room ever worry? Anybody? You're not alone. Paul worried. John worried. Moses worried. Gideon worried. You know, I've been thinking um, about myself. And... um, a lot these days, I've been really thinking about some things like over the last year, if I was to be completely honest, it has been the hardest year of ministry since I started this church 16, 17 years ago. I would say that the last year has been harder than the first 16 combined. Uh, we've had incredible changes in the life of our church. Launching a campus, uh, that's was it been very difficult, very, very difficult, um, you know, trying to get to believe in a video model of teaching, very, very difficult. Um, The money issues, very, very difficult. Uh, Losing very key leaders and dear friends of mine to good works, God has taken people and planted them across this country. it's incredible, but it's been very, very difficult. And then in recent days, this whole LGBT crazy stuff, right? It just seems like one crushing thing after another. And I feel... Um, like I have failed in some very big ways, and uh, I have regrets as a leader, uh, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. Um, I often feel like I don't, I don't even know what's next for us, I feel overwhelmed. And it's like God is saying to me through this story, that I am bigger than your struggle. I am bigger than your failures, bigger than your sin, bigger than your lack of confidence. I am just bigger, and I am better, and I am stronger, and if you have a big view of me, instead of a little view of me, I will do extraordinary things through you. And friends, um, my my guess is you have your own minion nights that you are battling you have some giants in the land that you've given up fighting. Don't give up. Fear not, for I am with you. Faith and fear are in conflict. Both require something from you. Both require you to believe something. I would just humbly submit to you, that we ought to put all of our energy not believing in fear, but to believe, to trust God, to learn to trust him with our whole hearts.